excellent. Would you turn to Mark chapter 9? Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Page 1163, if you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you, would love to have you read along with us. Mark chapter 9, fascinating passage in the scripture this morning. Lord, we come this morning as seekers. Hopefully all of us come to seek you. And I pray that you would reveal wonderful things about yourself to us this morning in your word. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in knowing you. I pray your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we studied the death and the legacy of Moses as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And you probably thought that that was the end to our series in the life of Moses. But wait, there's more. Moses actually shows up in the New Testament Gospels about 400 years after his death. The real Moses, not some AI-generated digital Moses. The real guy. And he shows up in our text this morning. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, a group of people that had gathered, including his disciples. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, that's a big-time promise. He's talking to people right there standing in a group there. And he promises them, some of you, are going to see the kingdom of God in power before you die. It's quite a promise to make. And six days later, Peter, James, and John got to see that. Look what we read in verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John... And led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. So Jesus took three disciples up on a mount, and most Bible scholars believe that this was Mount Hermon. This is as far north as you can get in Israel. It's the highest mountain range in Israel, about 9,200 feet. It's snow-capped throughout the year. In fact, there's a ski resort at the top of Mount Hermon. You can snowboard in Israel if you'd like. So Jesus brought these three disciples up that mountain. It probably would have taken most of the day. They get up high. They get pretty close. They stop. The sun sets. 
There's a chill in the air. It's quiet. It's private. The stars come out. I imagine it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. And there they are, Jesus and his three apostles at the top of that mountain. Now, Luke's gospel tells us why Jesus brought them up there. He, he didn't bring them up there to snowboard. He brought them up there to pray. And what did those three men of God do? They fell asleep, didn't they? Still, they got to be up there, and they would be awakened to the most spectacular sight you could possibly imagine. Those guys would see something wonderful. Now question, Jesus has or had 12 apostles, right? Why didn't all 12 go up? Why just three? Why just Peter, James, and John? And by the way, throughout the Gospels, that happens several times. Peter, James, and John are invited into private areas. They see things that the other disciples don't get to see why is that simple answer they're the ones that got closest to Jesus they're the ones that pursued Jesus with the greatest passion they're the ones that wanted more and so they got more they got to see things that the others didn't Jesus was not showing favoritism here. He was just responding to the three who sought him more deeply. Vance Havner said, Jesus doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. Did you know the Bible promises that if you seek God, you'll be rewarded? We are told in James chapter 4, Draw near to God and he will what? He'll draw near to you. God said in Jeremiah chapter 29, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Have you ever wondered why some Christians seem to experience God more? They seem to enjoy the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God more. They seem... Like they enjoy more power of God upon their lives. Why? Why? Because they're seekers. God rewards those who seek them. And God would reward those three disciples. They got to go up on that mountain. They would get to see the kingdom of God present in power. The end of verse 2 says Jesus was transfigured before them. Now this is more than an outward cosmetic change. Jesus was completely changed. This is the Greek word metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Jesus totally transformed on that mountain from an earthly human form to his pre-human, supernatural, glorious form. 
the veil of his humanity was lifted. Matthew says that his face shined like the sun. Matthew also tells us that his whole figurehead became like this radiant, white, hot light. We're told here that his clothes were shining whiter than the snow. The disciples got to see that. And it was no doubt a great miracle. I believe that Jesus lit up the whole mountain. I believe that if you were down below Mount Hermon, maybe in the Golan Heights or even in the Sea of Galilee or somewhere further down, if you would have looked up in the mountain that night, you would have seen a glow. They got to see it. A great miracle. But really, you know, if you think about it, the greater miracles that Jesus didn't shine like that all the time. You know, that's the great miracle of the Christian faith that we celebrate at Christmas. The glorious, radiant Son of God veiled in human flesh what he did. But on that mountain, he was glorified. And then they got to see two very special guests. Elijah the prophet, who had left earth 900 years earlier, shows up on that mountain. Elijah the prophet is alive and well. Moses, who had died 1,400 years prior to this event, shows up on that mountain. Moses is alive and well. And it says that they talked for a while. The language here indicates that they had a pretty long discussion. Luke's gospel tells us that they talked about the cross. They they talked about the salvation, the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. And this was so symbolic and so significant. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the Old Testament prophets. All of the Old Testament prophets and the law point to Jesus and speak of what Jesus would accomplish. And Jesus accomplished all of that in the Old Testament. Very symbolic. Very important. Your Old Testament is important. Jesus fulfills all that you find in the Old Testament. So imagine being on that mountain, see Jesus glorified and you see Elijah and Moses and they're probably glowing a bit too what a great meeting everything was going so great and then Peter had to open his mouth (laughs) verse 5 then Peter answered and said to Jesus Rabbi it's good for us to be here duh Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. So these disciples, they're they're terrified. Peter didn't know what to say. And when you don't know what to say, don't say anything, right? But he felt like he had to say, oh, it's so good for us to be here. Let's camp out out here. Let's make tents for all three of you. Well... Right after that, that mountain got brighter. For it says in verse 
7. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. The presence of God showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, eclipsing the whole mountain, all the star field, all the moon, the Shekinah glory cloud of God. The pillar of fire that led the Israelites around in the wilderness in the days of Moses. The fire that descended upon Mount Sinai. The Shekinah glory cloud that descended upon the tabernacle and the temple. They saw that. Not only did they see it, they were enveloped in it. The idea is that they were all enveloped in the Shekinah glory presence of God. And God spoke to them. He said, this is my beloved son. Peter, quit talking. Hear him. Hear him. And as soon as he spoke those words, suddenly, everything went away. Verse 8, suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. The cloud's gone, the voice is gone, Moses is gone, Elijah's gone, all the light's gone, back to the mountain, the three apostles, and Jesus in his earthly form. What an experience. Probably seemed like a dream. What was the point of all this? What was the purpose? Why this experience on that mountaintop? Well, I would say one word. Encouragement. Encouragement. Jesus himself was encouraged. See, this is all taking place towards the end of the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus, at this point, knows his ministry, his time on earth is almost over. He'll be traveling south all the way to Jerusalem. He knows he'll be arrested. He knows he'll suffer. He knows he'll be crucified. He knows that's all coming. And that was not an easy thing for even the Son of God. Remember, he's fully man as well as fully God. And in his human quality, no one looks forward to a suffering like he was about to endure. And I think at the top of this mountain, he was encouraged by his good buddies, Elijah and Moses. And I actually think it probably felt real good for Jesus to slip back a bit into eternity to his pre-human glory. Knowing that he'll return to that after the sacrifice. I think this was enriching for him. It was something that would encourage him. I think this was also meant to be something that would be incredibly encouraging for those three apostles. This would be something that they would never forget. See, at this point, Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going to suffer and die in Jerusalem. He's warned them, dark days are coming. When those dark days come, don't forget what happened at the top of this mountain. Don't forget the light. Don't forget how you saw me. Hold on to that. 
It'll encourage you. Now, we know that when it all went down, when Jesus was arrested, when he was taken into custody, when he was beaten and crucified and his body was taken down from a cross, wrapped in grave clothes and put in a tomb, every apostle was disheartened. In a sense, they had forgotten those three, what they had seen. But then later, when Jesus is raised from the dead, and they meet Jesus face to face after he's defeated death, it clicked. And everything about what happened on that mountain made sense. And this would be something that these apostles would remember when they went into their dark days. In the book of Acts, they're called to go and preach the gospel to the world, and they'll face all kinds of difficulties. But they would never forget that moment on the mountain. And I submit to you that what happened at the top of that mountain is also meant to encourage us. Because right now, we're the generation on planet Earth carrying the baton. We're the ones that are supposed to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, and we live... In very dark days. But we have the greatest hope. What happened at the top of that mountain, as Jesus said, was a picture of the kingdom of God present with power. You could think of it this way. It was a preview of the coming kingdom. Like a trailer. Like this is what you can expect for your future, brother and sister in Christ. One day, you and I as Christians will experience to an even greater degree what those three apostles experienced at the top of that mountain. Now, what did they see at the top of that mountain? They saw Jesus glorified. They saw him in glory. They saw him shining. John, the apostle, will get another vision of Jesus later when he writes the book of Revelation. He writes of it in Revelation chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. You know, Christian, one day, one day, you'll see Jesus like that. Not if. When. One day your eyes will look upon the resurrected, glorified, shining, brilliant Son of God. Because that's what we'll see in the kingdom. What else did they see up there on that mountain? Well, they saw saints. 
They saw two men who had been dead for 900, 1400 years. God's saved ones are in the kingdom. They're alive and well. Moses is alive and well. Elijah is alive and well. When you get to the kingdom, you'll be able to see the Old Testament saints. You'll be able to talk to Moses. Anybody have any questions for Moses? Think of it. You'll get to see and meet Elijah the prophet. I want to meet Job. David. Daniel. Esther. All of God's people who have been saved over all of history will be in the coming kingdom. The New Testament saints. Oh, we can't wait to meet Peter, right? James, John. I want to meet John the Baptist. I'm not sure I want to share a meal with John the Baptist. Or dress like John the Baptist. But I want to meet him. I want to meet Paul the Apostle. All of the greats throughout church history, you know, the Wycliffs, the, all the different people, Martin Luther, all these great men and women throughout history, they'll be there. You'll see them. Some of you have Christian parents, Christian grandparents, Christian friends, Christian family members who have passed. You'll meet them there too. There will be a great reunion in the coming kingdom. All of God's people will be there. In the coming kingdom, we'll all enjoy new, brand new, glorified bodies. So on that mountain, Jesus is in his glorified body. Moses and Elijah are in their glorified bodies. It's different. Much different than the bodies that we have now. And one day, we will get brand new bodies. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul's wonderful promise in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In the coming kingdom, you get a new model, a brand new body, a glorified body, one that will last for all of eternity. These current bodies... They can't last for all of eternity. They barely last 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. But one day you get a brand new body. Think of it. In the coming kingdom, there will be no nursing homes, no hospitals. You'll never have to take another pill. No bad backs. No Alzheimer's. No senility. Absolute perfection. What a joy. Our bodies will be different. Elijah and Moses 
they had different bodies. Now, the question's been asked a lot of times, will we recognize one another in heaven? Absolutely. We won't be dumber in heaven than we are here. (laughs) But we'll be different. New glorified bodies. In the coming kingdom, we will see the very presence of God, just like they experienced the top of the mountain. In fact, in heaven, you'll be enveloped in the very presence of God. In Revelation chapter 21, John says, I saw no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. In the presence of God where there's no sun needed, no light needed. He's the light. Not if, when. My brother and sister in Christ, your future. The kingdom of God present with power. There's another wonderful detail, and this is probably my favorite, but in the coming kingdom, there will be no sin or judgment. You know what really blesses me in this story? You know why I really think it's great that Moses was there? 1,400 years earlier, before Moses died, Moses sinned. Do you remember that story? And what was the punishment? You can't go into the promised land. Moses had sinned. God told him to speak to the rock. He beat the rock. And the Lord said, you will not go into the promised land. And we even know that Moses pleaded, oh Lord, let me cross over please. And the Lord said, no, you will not go into the promised land. 1,400 years later, Moses went into the promised land. And there he stood on that mountain. With Jesus himself. All sins are forgiven. In the coming kingdom, there's no judgment. You see, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all people. And those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in this life have all of their sins forgiven. By the time you get to the next kingdom, your sins are gone. Not because you're any better than anyone else but because Jesus forgave you of all your sins. Revelation chapter 21 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I love this. There shall be no more curse. What curse? The curse that came from the fall of man in the garden. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall see him. Can you imagine a place? Can you imagine an existence where there's no sin? None. Nobody sins. No horrific effects of sin. That's your future. 
There's also a really incredible thing that you find out about the coming kingdom, and it has to do with your entrance into the kingdom. There's something really powerful here that you want to see. How are we as Christians going to get in to that coming kingdom? Like physically, how are we going to be moved there? Look at what happened with Moses, and then look at what happened with Elijah. Moses died. We know he died. Now, there were weird circumstances concerning his death. God buried his body, you remember, but he died. Moses got in to the kingdom through death. How did Elijah get to heaven? He didn't die. Remember the story? How did Elijah get there? A chariot of fire. God snatched Elijah. Elijah didn't die. He just went. And so I think we see a very powerful picture of how we as people get in. By far, most of us will go into the kingdom through death. Like Moses. But there is going to be a generation alive on planet earth when Jesus comes for the church that will be raptured. And we're told that by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who've died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep In Jesus, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive on planet earth, right, and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So how do we actually get to that kingdom? Either by death or by rapture. Moses, Elijah. Now I got to tell you, I'm pulling for the rapture for me. I'm like, I forget who said it, but they said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) And I actually think we're very close to the rapture. We've been studying the last day signs on Wednesday nights, Matthew chapter 24. There isn't anything left on the prophetic time clock that needs to take place before Jesus returns for his church. It can happen at any moment. We are closer than ever than to the second coming of Jesus Christ where he shows up in glory. With his saints with him in glory. Experience the presence of God with our own eyes. In a place where there's no sin. We're so close. Be encouraged by that picture at the top of that mountain. 
you're going to experience that to a greater degree than the three apostles did when it happened. And let it motivate you. Be a seeker. Be a seeker. Hunger for God. Thirst for him. Read your Bibles. Pray. Pursue him. There's always going to be people in the church that will always have this superficial Christianity that they live. Where, you know, Christianity is just a little compartment in their life. No big deal. Don't be that person. Be the one that seeks God. Want more and you'll get more. It's promised. And in these last days, in these last days, oh, how you need to be a great witness for Jesus Christ. So that your family and friends can come to know what you know and have the same hope that you have. Let's bow our heads together. Let's close our eyes. Father, what a picture. What a hope you've given us. Lord, it's worth it to serve you now, to suffer for you now, to face dark things now. It's worth it because what you have for us is so much better. I pray, Lord, that we would be those seekers that we would draw near to you so you'll draw near to us, that we would search search for you and find you when we search for you with all of our hearts. For those who have strayed away from you, Lord, bring them back. Bring them back. brother, my sister in Christ, be reminded of the importance of the days in which you live. God placed you here in this generation. Be conscious. Make use of it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have that hope of that future kingdom. You can have hope. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again that third day. That's how you're forgiven. All of your sins are forgiven through the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. All of your sins were placed upon him at the cross. He died in your place, rose again the third day. And if you invite him to be your Lord and Savior, all that will be applied to you. What Jesus did on the cross will be applied to you. But it doesn't happen by default. Choose him. Choose him. If you've never received Christ, do it right now. Just that cry of the heart to God in a prayer. I'll lead you in a prayer. Just pray quietly in your heart, ask you, Lord Jesus, I, I cry out to you. I want to be in your kingdom. 
your kingdom. Take me out of the kingdom of darkness. Bring me into your kingdom of light. I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. I put my faith and my trust in you. Wash away all my sins. Save me. Make me yours. And help me to live for you from this day forward. Lord, I pray that for all of us as your people, that we would live for you this day forward. Would you stand with me?